2,000 years ago, Jesus led a movement to change the world. What some don't know is that 2,000 years ago, there were a lot of religious movements led by many people who claimed to be the Messiah. Each one of them was a great threat to the Roman Empire. Rome had a very easy way of ending the movements. They executed the leader. That was the end of the movement. In every single case, except for one, they put Jesus to death in hopes of ending the movement called Christianity. And within 300 years, Christianity spread like wildfire and covered the known world. What happened? Resurrection happened. And we're going to look at it this morning. Our text is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and then skipping ahead to verse 16 through 20. This is Matthew's account of the resurrection. We began the Gospel of Matthew the first Sunday of Advent, and we end it on Easter Sunday. It's almost as if we planned that. As we approach the scriptures this morning, it needs to be said, something that didn't need to be said years ago, that we actually believe the scriptures are the word of God. It's a pretty radical concept. We believe that it's inerrant and it's infallible. And I often tell the members of Coral Ridge that when we come to the scriptures, it is an sit-on-the-edge-of-your-seat moment. Why? Because God is getting ready to speak to us. And he speaks to us this day through his word found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age, and the grass withers, and it falls. But the word of our God, it stands forever. Aren't we grateful that we have the very word of God? Amen. 
The early church was founded on one cardinal truth. The early church was not founded on the impeccable character of Jesus. The church was not founded on the truth and the reality that Jesus was a good man or a great leader. The church of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago was founded on the one single cardinal truth that Jesus was dead the three days he rose from the grave. It is the doctrine of the resurrection in which the church rises and it falls. And we are here today celebrating Easter Sunday with the confidence that something great happened 2,000 years ago. Resurrection happened. And so what I would like to do by looking at this passage is answer two questions this morning. One, how do we know it happened? And two, if it did, what difference would it make in your life this morning? So how do we know it happened? Well, there are three things we can point to in this passage that speak to the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first is this, the eyewitnesses. The first eyewitnesses are women. We read in verses 1 through 10 that the first eyewitnesses were not Peter, to be expected. It wasn't James or John. Not even Thomas, who we're told in John, doubted. But of all people, it was women. It was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Now you ask, why in the world is that significant? Well, 2,000 years ago, women had very little rights, very little voice of influence in public. Their testimony didn't even hold up in a court of law. And so if you were making this story up of the resurrection... If you were trying to fabricate a story, a fairy tale, the greatest hoax the world has ever seen, you would have never led with, and the first people to see Jesus were two women. The only motivation for including these two women is if it really happened. If you were making up a lie about the resurrection, you would have had very little, absolutely no influence or inspiration or reason to include Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, unless this is exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. The first eyewitnesses being women is absolutely staggering and points to the veracity of the resurrection. The second thing we can take away concerning the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the resurrection is the honest recording of the people's reaction. You see, one of the many reasons why we trust in the scriptures as the word of God is that nowhere in the scriptures does the narrative whitewash what actually happened. Some believed and worshiped. But we're told a very honest reaction about the others. In verse 17, we read that some doubted and the, re the reaction of those that doubted should actually bring you comfort this morning. Because the church of Jesus Christ was not founded on blind faith. 
The church of Jesus Christ was not founded by gullible, naive individuals, but by men who first doubted, but eventually believed. But it wasn't until they examined the evidence. It wasn't until they looked at the resurrected Jesus Christ and it was proven to them that yes, truly, this is the man who promised us that he would die only to be raised from the dead. It is good news that Christianity is not founded upon a blind faith. Many people attack Christians for being gullible and naive, but we have a beautiful history of wrestling with the truths of Scripture, of looking at the evidence. We know that these 11 disciples, yes, they might have at one point doubted, but we know that they went out and they established and founded the church of Jesus Christ all over the known world, there must have been something that moved their doubt to faith. And it was once they examined the evidence, the concrete truth that Jesus truly was raised from the dead. And it is the honest reaction, the honest recordings of the people's reactions that give us hope that the evidence that was examined that Easter morning was able to be verified to move their doubt to faith. The third thing that we see that points to the veracity of the resurrection is the radical change in the lives of the disciples. In verse 19, he looks at these 11 men and he has the audacity, this is Jesus, to tell them to go out and make disciples of the nations. Does Jesus know who he's talking to? 11 men that 48 hours ago were running for their lives. Peter, who wasn't even willing to acknowledge Jesus Christ. This guy, these 11 uneducated men from a backwater village in Judea are going to go out and change the world? And they did just that. They took the message of the gospel and it spread across the known world. The only explanation of how men one day were running in fear and hiding and even denying the Christ, the only explanation how their lives could be radically transformed, that they would actually be willing to risk their lives now for the gospel, the only explanation is if they knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had truly been risen and raised from the grave. If there was any doubt, there is no way these men would have laid it all on the line for the kingdom of God. The only explanation for the radical transformation of their lives is that they saw the risen Savior and that it was verified to them to be true. So we have the first eyewitnesses, we have the honest recording of the people's reaction, and we have radically transformed lives. And you sit here this morning and you say, Pastor, thank you for the wonderful apologetic lesson of defending and proving the resurrection. The only problem is I live in the 21st century and I am dealing with 21st century problems. How in the world, if the resurrection is true, how does it make a, any difference in my life today? What difference does the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead, what difference and impact could it make in your life? Well, the answer is found at the very end of the passage. We read in verse 20 that Jesus says, behold, he says, look, 
Listen, let me get your attention. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Do you understand how profound that statement is of Jesus? You see, the Bible tells us that we have a problem, and it is called sin. And sin has separated us from God. You see, we are separated and estranged from the God who has created us. And we have tried everything. We have attempted everything in order to claw our way back to God to no avail. We have been separated and estranged from the very God who's created us. And when Jesus rises from the dead, he declares to the world and declares to you this morning that sin has been defeated and the grave has been conquered once and for all. And the promise is this today, that whoever believes in Jesus Christ, you share in his death and you share in his resurrection so that his resurrection was not simply a historical event 2,000 years ago but it was the very means of reconnecting you and reuniting you from the God that you lost in the garden. And that is the good news of the resurrection, that you get God forever. Listen to me. You will forever be restless. You will forever be defined by your past. You will forever stand condemned by your sin. You will always be unsatisfied and empty, living with the brokenness of your life in the midst of a broken world until you meet Jesus Christ, the only one who says, by my resurrection, it is the end of the restlessness. It is the end of the emptiness. It is the end of your life being defined by what you've done or by what you've left undone. It is the end of condemnation. It is the end of scrambling. It is the end of reaching out to try to fill the emptiness of your life and your soul to no avail. You finally, in the person of Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone, meet the one you've always longed for but never thought was possible. Today can be that day. If you are here this morning or maybe even watching at home, Tonight is not the night, and tomorrow is not the day, but the scriptures tell us that today is the day of salvation, that you, right where you're sitting, in just a few minutes, you are going to talk to God, and I'm going to even help you pray the prayer. You've never even thought it possible that you could talk to God. And Jesus invites you, the resurrected one invites you to come and say this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart, maybe for the very first time today, that God raised him from the dead. You know what the promise is? You will be saved. Saved from a terrible existence of thinking that death is the end of the story. Saved and rescued from an eternity forever separated from God. That can be your story today. Three years ago, in the southern region of France, an ISIS terrorist ran rampant through the streets of a local village. 
He ended up in a supermarket taking a woman hostage. That woman would have lost her life that day if it wasn't for this man. French officer, Lieutenant Colonel Beltram. On that day, in the southern region of France, Lieutenant Colonel Beltram pleaded with the terrorist for three hours to release the hostage, to release the woman. And there was only one condition. He would have to swap places with that woman. She would be set free and he would be held captive. He obliged. A woman he didn't even know was set free that day and saved and rescued. And this man entered in. Within 30 minutes, his life was taken for a woman he didn't even know. The following weekend, President Macron held a ceremony giving this man the highest honors And paying his respects and honoring the life of Lieutenant Colonel Beltram, he said this, Beltram's willingness to give his life for another is a story so great, it has transfixed the whole of France. And so it should. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is another story so great that it has not transfixed a nation. It has transfixed an entire world. It is the story of the greatness of Jesus Christ. What will you do with that story today? Some worshipped, but some doubted. Can I challenge you to doubt your doubt just for a moment today? Do you really know what you're dismissing? Do you really even know what you're doubting? Could you imagine coming here today or tuning in this morning and hearing of the greatness of this man, Jesus Christ, and dismissing it? You might call that absurd. But you have the privilege and the opportunity this morning to run to Jesus and to lay your life down because he laid his life down for you. I am here today to announce that if there was no resurrection, don't come back next Sunday. Go play golf. Because if there is no resurrection, you live and you die, and that is the end of the story. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, you know what death is? Instead of it being the end of the story, it is simply a prelude to a glorious future that has no end. And you can have that today in the resurrection. Would you believe, confess, and run to Jesus? A Christian woman paralyzed from the waist down, discussing her funeral, said, I don't care what you do at my funeral. Just throw in with me some dancing shoes because one day I'm going to dance. Was she being naive? Is that just wishful thinking? 
Not if the resurrection's true, because the resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. If you're here this morning or watching at home, you're convinced. You're convinced of the resurrection and it's changed your life. You've been maybe walking with Jesus for years. But there is a great chance this morning that somebody sitting to your right or left or maybe in front of you or beside you does not know. They have not come to the place in their life where they are convinced of the resurrection. Would you begin to pray for them right now? Pray that today would be their day of salvation. Maybe you're that person. You might have known a lot of things about Jesus, known a lot of things about Christianity, but you have never come to the place where you have surrendered your life. If you feel the stirring of the Spirit, do not resist. Come home. Come to Jesus right now, right where you're at. Simply saying this, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you except my past, my sin, my guilt, my shame. I offer it to you now, and by faith, simply by believing, I confess that yes, you are Lord, and that you raise from the dead, not just for the world in general, but you raise from the dead for me. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I want today to be the end of searching. I want today to be the end of the restlessness. I want today to be the day that ends all of the scrambling of trying to fix my life and fix myself because I realize for the first time I can't, but you can. I want to be born again today. Transform me. By faith alone, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. Change me Wash me, transform me for the inside out. You take my sin and I receive your robes of righteousness so that I can have the confidence that when I die and I stand before Jesus and he asks me, why should I let you in? I can simply point to Jesus, his life and death and resurrection for me. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.